Awesome, guys. This is uh, another episode of the Frame and Focus podcast. Uh, today we have Alex Burton, photographer. Yeah, round of applause. And Brandon Torres, uh, our producer. If you guys haven't already, please like, subscribe to our YouTube channel, our Instagram, our TikTok. Uh, we're basically everywhere. And uh, write, a, write a five-star review, too, if you haven't already. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. For all you guys, thanks for coming back and thanks for listening. Um, I guess we'll start with uh, with Alex if you want to kick it off. Yeah. It's our usual question of like how you got into this and yeah, your journey and how you Who got to where you are. Yeah, what are you doing? Who am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Who are you guys? Yeah. What is this? Why are, are we? Why are we in a garage right now? Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Um, I've helped uh, in the in the background on a few of these episodes. It's fun to be in the hot seat now. <laughs> That's right. Um, so yeah, I guess photography for me really started about five years ago. Uh, I was like a lot of people, just kind of a hobbyist photographer, taking the camera on family trips to wherever, um, just taking kind of snapshots, um, ended up joining some like photography clubs when I was living in North Carolina, um, got a little bit more passionate about it, but, uh, really sparked, uh, when I moved here to Austin and just kind of right place, right time had, uh, a friend kind of trust me and my uh, nascent photography skills to kind of go for it and trial by fire, start a product photography studio, which I knew nothing about at the time. Um, I know a little bit more now, but uh, yeah, basically just got thrown into it and uh, was literally had like client uh, asks on one side, editing photos and the YouTube tutorial up on the other side, (laughs) um, learning Photoshop, learning off camera lighting, learning all those things, um, pretty quickly. Um, at least the basics of it. Um, so yeah, kind of cut my teeth on that white background, Amazon style, e-commerce photography, high volume stuff. Um, and then kind of slowly branched out into more lifestyle commercial work. Um, starting out more of that kind of basic look that you would see on just any old Amazon listing, uh, but eventually kind of working my way up in terms of the production value, uh, and yeah, oh, yeah. doing some fun so stuff now you're these doing, days. Now you're doing self-portrait boudoir. And then OnlyFans. What is your next, oh, yeah. uh, I'm curious, what's your next, like you've been, you've been going down the, the line of trying to do different things, doing, you know product photography and environmental portraits. And see, I, I had you turn me down because I was going to be loud, but yeah, either way. But yeah. uh, the what's your next kind of phase? Like what is something you want to uh, tackle as a photographer? Like what's your next interest of theme? Yeah, so I think at this point in my life and I guess photography career, um, really trying to kind of see where, like literally where geographically photography can take me. Um, I really have had a lot of fun on the travel shoots that I've been on, a couple with Vinny that have been a blast. Yeah. That um, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you guys go? Uh, we went to Amanjiri. It's a crazy hotel out in, uh, I guess it's in, Arizona, it's in Utah, I guess, technically. It's like right on the border. Oh. And uh, it's like a six-star hotel. And uh, I think like six stars. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's like Kanye West, yeah, Angelina yeah. Jolie type. Room started list. like seven grand a night. Oh my and god! And it was a it was a wild 
That was a wild shoot, but it was pretty cool to be out there. We were there for you need four an days. Assistant? Let's yeah. just do it. I'll go next <laughs> yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a wild one, um, but it was awesome to he killed it as always. So it was awesome to have him. So what you so. what you end up shooting while you're there? Like what did I know? You know, obviously Vinny's got his thing that he's doing, but what were you shooting specifically there? Yeah, so we were basically just the content team for the weekend. Uh, he was yeah. shooting video. I was shooting photos alongside of it. They had an insane agenda lined up for the the stacked guest list. And we were just there to kind of capture the moment so they could keep their phones in their pockets and um, their attention focused on everything that's happening and all the friends that are there sharing in the experience. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah it was, so it, it was one of so the books for it's sure. It's really like uh, the camera in that situation and a few others has been like a ticket to kind of get a peek behind this curtain that like normies i don't know no i get a better term don't usually get to people don't get to see yeah there's no way i would have been there on my own yeah whatever i think i heard that the buyout for that weekend was like 12 million or something to have like excuse me i can't cuss on this can i no no or is it just gonna be a chicken noise that comes up when i um it was a wild like he said peek behind the curtain you know just to see that that way of life and uh to be able to capture that was definitely a privilege it was awesome you get a lot of uh, i mean both of you guys i mean actually all three of you guys get a lot of peaks behind the curtain and get to see things that you normally wouldn't see what's the wildest you think right now like Vinny, what, what about yourself what's the wildest thing you've been able to kind of experience that you don't think you ever would have without being able to be without being the man with the camera i guess uh music wise has been probably probably the biggest things like uh, i've i've met uh met and shot with like willie which has been pretty awesome a couple of times and uh, alex was actually <coughs> at one of the events we had, like, we didn't get to meet him that time um but we got to you know be close to stage and i was on stage another time shooting him um, you better drag my ass go see yeah. willie god damn <laughs> i want to do that uh like you know normally there's the willie's uh what's the thing that goes on during, uh yeah luck yeah do you ever do that you work with that yes yeah, sh- i should so you know matt uh yeah biser yeah yeah matt he's a man he's a good he, dude. i love that guy he's yeah. incredible as far as producers go like people that um, but honestly, I've seen do some amazing work. That's a guy that I would really love. I think that's a, a guy you guys should talk to. Matt's yeah, incredible. Yeah. He is yeah, he's awesome. He I just worked started. with him on a music video way back when. Oh, when yeah? he was just like a nobody, he was just like new and fresh. And man, he had these nice. bizarre ideas and these crazy things he wanted to do. And it was like, I'm like, what kind of madman am I working with here? <laughs> yeah. He also just started a Landlock Fest. I don't yeah. know if you guys have heard of that, but it's like another, it's like a three day festival out at uh, this like surf spot in. I think it's like Waco or something. Mm-hmm. So he's and a music producer or something. Yeah, he puts on a- event festivals. Producer. Yeah, and event producer. Okay. Yeah, he, but he, he's really tight with the Luck family, and mm-hmm. he's ran Luck for I don't even know how long now. But uh, uh, a couple, like it's been uh, almost a not a decade, but it's been getting close pretty soon. Will yeah. be right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I he's mean, a great dude. And, uh, shout, out Matt. And, yeah. shout out Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out Matt. I love Matt. Matt Beiser's, uh, yeah. I mean, I worked with him and he was just super talented dude. He brought some people in that, um, that honestly, like, totally changed the way I look at cameras and everything. Like, nice. totally changed a little bit of the, the work that I was doing then. Um, I mean, he's just connected to some of the most amazing people that he pulls them out of the out of the woodworks. Yeah, so totally. that's that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. What about yourself, Alex? What what's the most crazy, wildest thing you've been able to expose yourself to now that you you know since you have the camera? Honestly, it was that shoot at Amanjiri. That show was crazy. Like was pretty wild. so many levels past, like I don't know anything that I would have imagined people do in a single weekend. It was like three days, but. Well, illustrate that for us. Back to back to back. What illustrate that for us? Like, like, tell us what what did the rooms look like? It was like I don't know how how many specific details we can go into, but like every like every 
like three hour chunk of time was like a dedicated like crew of people had descended upon one of the spaces in the resort to set up whether it's a meal or a concert from a DJ that got flown in for that night uh, or a different performing act that's there. Uh, one of the, the last nights w was like this crazy, uh, slightly away from the main campus, like this, I don't even know how to describe it, like a elevated crater in the earth. It was a helipad. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they have two really? helipads. Is like most people don't drive there. They just take their helicopter in. Oh. And oh. It's one of the, it's, it's this, like, is, this oh, is the shit that I we're dealing with. It's I have to take wild. my helicopter. Yeah, I, that kind of money. <laughs> with private like, jets and helicopters yeah. getting people there. This is, yeah. this is my crappy helicopter. Though. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I'm, I've arrived in my horrible, ugly helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Lord. yeah, I don't know. I mean, the whole like ethical billionaire thing and all that um as far as ways for like the 0.1% to spend their money uh, on the surface it might seem like lavish and over the top but like the hundreds like literally hundreds of people between the resort staff the event staff um us the content team the amount of people that were like employed by that weekend and by that kind of whole thing um I don't know. It was pretty insane to witness the the machine of That's it all. Nuts. Yeah. That's nuts. And on top of that, everyone, the guest-wise and staff, everyone was awesome. Like, I, I don't know about you, but, like, I, everyone was great. Like, I, you know, sometimes... Well, that kind of money, I hope so. <laughs> well, well, like, I, I mean, yeah. in terms of guests, you know, sometimes there's kind of this, like, stereotype of, like, oh, the more money they make, the, the worse of a person they are. Um, but literally everyone there was amazing and yeah. we made like a bunch of good friends and I still, I've been, you know, staying in contact with them and it's just, it's awesome. And, uh, it was just a really cool experience on so many different levels. Yeah, man. Not bad. Not bad. Nice. Dang. Good stuff. That sounds exciting. Guys, that yeah. sounds really I want to, if you got uh, $4,000 burning a hole in your pocket, you might be able to stay what? for a night out there in the off season. In the off season. <laughs> one nice. of the side rooms. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. You stay there and it's like one night and you're like, okay, I've well, experienced it. Can't, can't <laughs> yeah. pay for anything else, but you know, that's it. Yeah. Following Alex's story, um, I remember. I remember. I don't remember if it was 2019 or 2020 that we met each other. Somewhere around there. I think it was on Craigslist too. Yeah, <laughs> Boy, this, I didn't know that. Like a, Shout like out a totally Craigslist. Story. <laughs> yeah, like so a story. that's how you guys met. Alex, Alex, yeah, Alex at that time was working on. Was on, this a classifieds on, on Craigslist? On, this, <laughs> on the previous studios, yeah. we were part of, um, and I remember. I thought when I met Alex and I saw the work that he was doing and because they already had a website uh, built in and everything. So I remember the the first impression that I had, I thought he was, he's been doing photography for the last 10 years. And, awesome. he, and he all humble and anything to, to, told me, uh, no, I, I, I just have. I started two years ago, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> nice. I mean, you practice every day. What are you doing? Because, you know, you see the, the talent, yeah. you know, this, you see skills, you see the quality of work and everything. So uh, that made me that made me think that, oh, this has been doing photography for a long time. But, <laughs> but so when, man. when you look at your work as you've gone through the time, do you look back and go, wow, why did I get paid for that? Or do you ever look at something and just kind of like – shove it away and go, that's not going in the portfolio ever again. Um, how do you, how do you view your old work? I do that shit all the time. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of the old lifestyle stuff. Um, if I look at just like the way I was lighting it, I guess it's just kind of like black. As soon as I figured out that you could bounce a light off of like any vaguely white surface, oh, yeah. 
and make soft light. It was just like, put yeah. put three yeah. of those in a room and everything is just washed in soft, even light yeah. and is like flat and like looks like good, but it's just like a stock photo essentially at yeah. that point. Basically. Um, so, I mean like, yeah, composition wise and stuff, it, it was fine back then, but, but um, the main thing is just, yeah, kind of finding that. Nice, I want to ask good you, you were, you were inspired by something in a specific to start doing photography or you just yeah suddenly it, someone told you hey can you take a picture yeah of this? was it just like it fell into your lap or did you or were you because you said you, you started as a hobbyist is what you're you're talking yeah. about but for how long were you a hobbyist and then you were like eh, maybe this is a business you know yeah it was a solid like uh, i don't know two years i would say of like hobbyist going from like taking random macro pictures of flowers in the front yard and uh, landscape photography on road trips and stuff. Um, and then I guess it sort of started when I was selling random like bike parts and stuff on eBay. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And just out of necessity, like you have to have a picture for that. Yeah. And I had and a camera. It, and the better, like, it looks, look good. Yeah. the better it looks, yeah. the better it sells. Yeah. Too. And so I would just go over the top and make uh, super nice. Um, well, at the time, I thought we're like super nice. <laughs> uh, nice <laughs> nice photos in comparison <laughs> to everybody else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Compared yeah. to like yeah. the blurry camera phone. Phone pictures. Yeah. Like in yeah. the bedroom, weird uh, fluorescent lighting. Uh, yeah, just r nice solid pictures for the listings and they would sell really quickly. Um, so I guess it kind of started there, but in terms of making it a, like a paid career, it was really right place, right time. Uh, friend just had faith in me to just kind of throw me into it Figured based it on very little proven track record, but like just enough. A little <laughs> shout out to that friend. You want to just, you can shout a shout out to anybody if you want. Yeah. Like, um, thank you, thank you, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, his name's Ian. Thanks, nice. Ian, man. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Camera the, zooms in. Thank yeah, you. yeah. yeah. So the camera zooms in, and it's like, and you're just looking right, and a little tear comes down. It's like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But one thing that I might admire from you is that you, you, it's been four or five years that you've been doing photography, right? Yeah. And you always keep it simple. And yeah. it works, you know, because usually, you know, as photographer, as creator, we tend to oh, get the latest camera, get the latest flash, get pro photo, not Godox, you know, yeah. you go for brands instead of, you know, and and that's one thing that I've been admiring from your work. You, you, you've been enhancing the quality of your work, but the setup is the same. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've almost my entire portfolio at this point is on the same like Zeiss 55 millimeter 1.8 um, yeah. prime lens, which is like essentially the same as the Nifty 50 you can get for 200 bucks yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little sharper, a little nicer, but I was gonna go down when I was younger. I was gonna go down that route of the photography end, but it is number one, it's cutthroat. Mm -hmm. Number two, you're dealing, you know, dealing with clients. Clients don't exactly know what they're asking for or what they want, and so a lot of times you have these situations where you have to negotiate or you have to navigate these relationships. Um, and that kind of forced me to quit early on. That forced me to not do it and just keep it as a hobby. What did you do to keep yourself from getting burnt out in that time frame? What do you, what do, you do now to keep yourself from getting burnt out and, and keep that, that fire alive? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if I'm being honest, early on there was like kind of periods of being pretty close to burnt out mm -hmm. um, because I didn't really know how to manage those relationships. Um, so, and 
I guess my work at this point is kind of split between freelance clients that I'm like the sole source of contact. They send me their needs. I ingest them, do the shoot for them, uh, send them the photos, and then shoots with uh, Lester's company, with Vinny's company, with other production companies where uh, that the production company um, is kind of managing the relationship there. Um, I might be making the shot list and mood boards and stuff, but um, for the most part, the like day-to-day client back and forth um, is handled by then. But in terms of shoots where I'm acting as like a pure like freelancer working directly with someone who needs photos, um, I think a big learning point for me was knowing like identifying early on like when a client is kind of a, a good one for a lack of a better term someone that I want to continue to do shoots for um, whether that's before you do the for- first shoot or after you finally close the first shoot um, kind of knowing when to cut ties with that relationship oh I get that yeah, yeah. Um, and it can be tough um, like if you're strapped for cash and really need to do some shoots that month to make rent. Um, it's the value uh, of saying no. Yeah, for sure. Um, cause yeah. And it, uh, oftentimes it's kind of inversely proportionate to the client budget. Um, yep. in terms of it's like, so weird how that works. Yeah, yeah. Lowest budget has the highest needs and the most the rounds of revisions. Yeah. That's, I think honestly on my end, that's why I kind of moved towards being producer because I, I got to this point where I was like, it was no, no. And I, I was always choosing clients for things for, I've gone through photography, um, gone through all of the production aspect of it, but I kept saying, well, clients are fucking dumb. Clients are dumb. Excuse me. There we go. Dropping another, uh, cursor, but clients sometimes can come off as dumb, you know, um, not, they're not, but you get in these modes where you're working and they want things that you know for a fact this is just almost impossible to do and you have to tell them that it's either you do this uh, you know we do this but it also costs money there's a, a ratio there but i think for me it was like i wanted to be the one to put together the teams and so i started looking at that and that's what excited me more i still do the art of photography on my end, like for myself, I still do, but I'm all old school. I'm like doing, you know, uh, processing film and daguerreotypes and Van Dykes and, you know, cyanotypes and stuff like that. I do a lot of that, but that's all stuff that you will never do for a client. You'll get looks. You can, you can get, you can emulate that look digitally. Right. But the one thing is, you know, clients will often ask for something that they don't know how to explain. And how do you negotiate that when, how do you pull that out of somebody when you're working with somebody? How do you pull that, uh, that aspect where it's like, I get you're trying to get at something, but you're not sure what to ask for. And then you like, what's your, when you're dealing directly with the client versus I I understand that when it's, you're, you're shielded by a whole production, that's, that's a very different thing, but, navigate it tell us how you navigate those waters yeah so um i think there's kind of two points uh that are important for that the first one being upfront when you're doing pre-production uh mood boards i feel like for me are super helpful to accompany like the preliminary shot list that i'm sending over so once we've had a onboarding call and i kind of know basically what they're what they're looking for um, recently I've been using mid journey a lot, the AI image generator, um, especially for like, uh, 
product centric stuff it, yeah. um, and lifestyle stuff too, honestly, like you can kind of um, draft up the look and feel that you're going for. Um, and sometimes it takes a couple iterations to get something that's not like crazy looking or is setting the wrong expectation. But um, yeah, it's let me get like really specific in terms of like, these are, this is the the vibe that I have in mind. Does this line up with what you want? And if not, how can we kind of bridge those? Um, and then on the back end, uh, like during the shoot, my general philosophy, like I always have a shot list, obviously, but I'm always like overshooting and on the day there are are inevitably going to be new situations that come up, new frames that we, um, see on set. Um, and I know Lester and Vinny are both big fans of this as well on the video side. Um, but yeah, essentially overshooting. Uh, so that I'm not just delivering the 25 or whatever images yeah. are on the shot list and they have a bunch more to choose from on the back end um, like to kind under, of mitigate under promise that. over deliver. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like so that, that they're not like, like what about what about this image? What about this one? This one isn't exactly how I envisioned it. And you can have like four other looks. Um, yeah. And that kind of goes back to the keeping the setup simple. Yeah. Um, if you don't have a ton of lights and heavy equipment that you're having to move around for each setup and kind of staying nimble, but still getting high quality looks out of everything. Uh, that helps really if, speed up the process and get more than what how much they were this, expecting. How much of your work do you end up doing a lot of the Photoshop or, or touch ups, but then number one, first, que- first part of that question, but second part, do you end up doing any compositing or any of that? Do you find yourself doing a lot of weird compositing? Like, I, I think I saw an image once where it was like there was an element. I don't know if it was water or leaf. I can't remember back in my head what it was. But you've got something almost kind of wraps around the image or it like looks like it comes up behind it. Twist it. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself being the one to do compositing? And so if you were to say, like for other people that are trying to get into your work, line of work, this is the third part. Do you feel that you have to almost be a, a jack of like several trades just to be a photographer nowadays or like explain that to us. So generally, yes, I think being a jack of multiple trades uh, in any any job these days, I feel like being more of a generalist is super helpful. Um, that being said, obviously you want to have some specificity. Uh, so whether or not you're planning to do the retouching on all of your photos, um, I think it's invaluable to learn at least how to do it on each one. Um, And so starting out, I was doing every, like every white background photo, painstakingly making clipping paths around everything, recreating the shadows. And uh, it was mind numbing and and painful to do that. But um, learning the process informs how you can shoot on the front end to make the back end easier and more natural looking. Um, So while these days I'm sending the like the white background e-commerce stuff off to a third-party company um, to do that first round of edits, um, I'm always getting back into the Photoshop file uh, for the last like five ten percent to really just punch it up and bring it to that last level. Um, but I understand how to do like the full process, so um, which I think is super important. Yeah, okay. love that. I think it doesn't matter what is your role on set you have to know how things work right like even if you're a director you're you know your hair your head has to know every other role you know you know how to direct light how to 
direct camera, how to direct props, art, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I think definitely. Yeah. 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 So in terms of um, next steps for you, do you have plans to jump into uh, anything in, in a specific? Are you planning to... to oh, I want to talk about your directing the view in a video commercial yeah how was your experience on that on that end yeah that was a couple of weeks ago You're directing what so i had my directorial debut on uh, <laughs> ooh, yeah that's there awesome i didn't know that yeah that. Congrats, it, was, dude. it was pretty wild um <laughs> definitely a vastly different experience uh being the director on set versus the photographer on set of a video commercial production um i'm very used to like being involved in the pre-production and I'm like making shot lists and making sure that I'm able to get the, f the photographs that I need, uh, in parallel with the commercial video narrative, um, that's being shot that day. Um, but sort on of set, driving the ship, you know? yeah, on set <laughs> when you're the director and you show up and everyone drops their bags and just because looks at what you. What do we like, do? <laughs> what's, now what? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was definitely a bit of a wake up call, but, um, yeah, I mean, Having having worked with the team on a bunch of shoots beforehand was uh, super helpful. Um, kind of knowing how everyone operated and getting a bunch of useful um, insight into the like pre-production process from Alexi and some other people. Um, but yeah, uh, stress level on set much higher. Uh, <laughs> but so was the satisfaction um, after the shoot wraps um, awesome. and getting that kind of real t real time feedback from um, the rest of the crew and really kind of being more directly involved obviously uh as a photographer whenever you're assisting on set you're kind of in interacting with everyone but more on a service level but when you're the director you're really kind of going intimately between the the different groups on set um a set designer the grip and gaff and um the dp and, and everyone else and really kind of trying to make the vision come together because when it comes down to it um as the director you're the only one with like the full kind of picture in mm -hmm. your mind and everyone else is there They're to kind doing of their one singular job yeah, yeah enable that and they can't read your mind um so uh they can't oh crap <laughs> be a lot easier i've been doing did. it wrong <laughs> i've been doing it wrong i thought you all could read minds what the hell yeah so just keeping that um on on top of mind and not assuming that anything is like self-evident um was definitely a big learning process um and something i definitely like to do more of um it was a kind of crazy commercial i feel like to do as a first directing uh gig it was a very demanding yeah it was pretty demanding what a somewhat, was the spot i don't even know what it was that's it, awesome um it's not quite finished yet we're still getting the vfx and stuff but it was for a, uh, a home Wi-Fi router with a bunch of cybersecurity features. Um, nice. Cool. So, yeah, just kind of packing in a bunch of these kind of technical networking cybersecurity concepts into this really uh, concise format um, was cool. pretty tricky versus like, this is our T-shirt. It yeah. looks good and feels <laughs> nice. You should buy yeah. one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, it was a two-day shoot, like a long shot list. Yeah. Right. It was the shot list was way longer to begin with, and then I when I was trying to make the schedule, it was like, oh my god, we need <laughs> three more days. <laughs> this is yeah. incredible. So we yeah. time to yeah, time week. to cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, so far so good. Um, awesome. Yeah. Dude, congrats. That's awesome. Thanks, nice. man. Um, yeah, so you're you're uh, 
interested in doing more. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Uh, so now you got to look right at the camera and tell them exactly <laughs> where to get a hold of you to direct everything else. <laughs> so is there a, I wouldn't say niche, but is there, is there a project that you will be mostly interested in? Like, I'd say it can niche. be clothing brand, it can be tech, it can be what, what calls you the most? Um, I think in terms of like personal interests that I feel like I would want to pursue directorially, um, I've been getting more and more into like the audio space, whether it's production or um, just like home audio equipment, I feel like has been ad advancing a lot. I mean, look at oh, us yeah. with yeah. this crazy podcast set up like 15 <laughs> yep. years ago. This would have been insane yeah. to someone. Yeah. Um, and that's like a lot of the content that I feel like I consume is just like reviews and random, like yeah. the latest and greatest gear stuff to kind of drool over. But um, yeah, I, th I think, yeah, that kind of home audio, um, like bringing studio level stuff to um, the hands of someone at home. So you, um, like the, you like the tech aspect of things too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do like the tech aspect of things. Um, what about style? Like, do you have like a style genre? Like a, or is yeah. It, yeah. yeah, do you want to shoot, like are, when you're doing commercials, are you wanting to do something that's a narrative or do you want it more informational or do you want to do, do something that's like a lifestyle? Do you want to, or do you want to like do an all out, like a comical kind of thing or do you want to mix and match? <laughs> Well, all, all the things, <laughs> all yeah. of the above. Um, all the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, do you have a commercial in your head that, like, you're like, oh, I love how this was shot, and I would love to do that. Mm. Um, nothing's jump. No, no specific spot is jumping to mind. Um, but in general, like the things that I have the most fun shooting in terms of just like, uh, like. Yeah, in terms of like the process of uh, seeing it come together, is uh, working in like actions and interesting uh, transitions into the the flow of the narrative essentially, um, and less just like scene one, scene two, back to scene one, um, as you work through it, and more like kind of weaving them in, um, whether it's room to room in a house or uh, like day to night or transitioning. Um, between spaces kind of more fluidly and making it more of a um, less of like an assault on the senses of just like look at all these scenarios and production mm -hmm. value that we put into it and more of like a how did they whoa 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 how did they do that um, mm -hmm. um, one thing comes to mind the Instagram account and um, I think they have their own website now it's called eye candy but it's just like a concise summary in each post of like some crazy technique that um, maybe you've heard of at that point, maybe not, but done yeah. to like the most insane level That's and just kind of blows your mind every time. Is that EYE candy? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Cool, I'll check yeah. it out. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I they, think it's, I they can, think they it's can fun. Thank you. They, can, they can cut the check later for the plug. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fun trying to incorporate shots like that on each project. That's, yeah. that's one of the things that I get the most excited about every time we get a project, like mm -hmm. how can we capture this or something? Yeah. yeah. How can we make it look 
interesting or different you know that's that's yeah. that's probably one of the challenges that you know we're gonna be applying in 2024 that's, that's sure. kind of one of those things that I, I i get excited about i love i i come from the cinema background so you know watching things like watching the movie amelie where that camera goes all the way up and over and then the pond like i'd love to do something like that yeah. i always want to do that that's the one thing is on that very cinema kind of uh idea on things that I still yeah. love that kind of thing. That and I think, I think a, a big part of it is not just doing flashy transitions for flashy transition sake, but like having it motivated by, yeah, something. motivate it with whether it's the narrative or the product or whatever it is that you're trying to convey, um, in the moment. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's when it all kind of comes together and blows people's minds. Yeah. Could which you, is increasingly s- hard to do these days. Yeah, right. Hmm. Could you see yourself putting down the camera and just doing directing, is that, some, is that something oh, you're interested in or would do you want to just... Um, I think at this point, definitely a little too early for that, having a <laughs> directed one, one commercial. <laughs> I will tell I you quit it. With this. Throw I will your, tell you throw your gear away. Those paychecks in, in directing, you're like, hmm, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I still have too much fun, hands on the camera, um, whether it's taking, taking photos or shooting videos. Um, so, yeah. And... Maybe a, a mix of both this year. Yeah, I think a good mix. Um, it feels like a good spi- space to kind of expand out into and test the water some more. Um, and also will inevitably kind of inform my photography process. And nice. It all feeds back into itself. It's all yeah. a self-feeding loop, yeah. Every, everything is connected. Yeah. What about you, Brandon? What about me? Yeah, I mean, you have. Do I want to do? I need Wait, to talk you have about myself? Oh, I get. I came here to talk about myself. Thing. Yeah, you have <laughs> twenty years. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Filming this. Is done, that? I've done. Is it. that you know uh, all in Texas or is spread out? Around I mean, the it's country? it's 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 really. I mean, I've worked all over the country, but I'm, I'm a Texas boy, so it started in Texas. I'm mean, still in Texas, so majority of it is in Texas, and. Uh, but I start, I've been, I, I like to, it's a weird thing. I tell people I've been just in every department, you name it. I've been in departments that I don't ever want to touch again. Um, my wife is a hair and makeup, is a retired hair and makeup artist. So I've been in hair and makeup. I've been in the art department. I've been a PA. I've been, I've been a writer. I've been a, an AD. I've been, um, you know, I mean, I could keep going. I've directed, um, funny thing is I've kind of always been producing, which is kind of the, the weird thing about it is that's where everyone was always trying to push me that direction. And I was, I was always the one who was like, nah, producers are dirty. They're gross. You know, they're slimy. Cause I've had a lot of situations where I've worked with producers that are just, you know, like trying to take more out of your budget and trying to take more out of your pay rate and going, no, 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 we, we could do it cheaper or I could find someone cheaper I just realized, I think someone told me this, said, you know, you're, we're never, the world's never going to get better producers if people who can be good producers don't actually get out there and try. Um, it's kind of the same thing I was told a while back about teachers. It's like, you know, people keep running away from being a teacher because the pay is horrible and, or the, yeah. the situation, the connotation behind things are horrible, but you need these, these things and you need the people who want to change how it's done to be involved. I came straight out of college. Um, actually even before college, I mean, I, I was, uh, I was in, you know, I think as small as like six years old, I was, I was always trying to direct or produce 
some kind of video or something. I put a video camera in my hand or a camera, a photography camera in my hand, and I would make things. Uh, I would do stop motion stuff. Went through high school, did a lot of that, had friends that we would make these stupid videos together. Uh, I've got stuff that I've buried as much as I can, so none of you can find it. Um, <laughs> I have a movie about a, a hitman, and they were like, I was directing it, but I was also kind of producing it, but I didn't write it, my, my good friend did. And, uh, and like, there's just, there's stupid things. I look back and I go, why? Why, why did I do that? But every, every high school kid does a movie about hitman. Uh, every high school boy, I think, does every, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe during my generation. But, um, yeah, I've done, I've kind of run the gamut of everything so that I could. I think the reality is the entire time I felt like I needed to do that so that I could actually be, first it was to be a good director, to know how those things work. But it served me even more as a producer. Director has been your main goal since the beginning or... You know what's funny is I kind of got it beat out of me when I was in G&E. I was in Grip Electric. Um, I was a Grip for a while. I was electric for a while. And it kind of got beat out of me because there's a, a stigma with some of the older guys in Grip Electric that kind of tell you, oh, you are you a, a Grip Electric or are you a director? You know, get the hell off my truck if you're a director. It's like, we don't need any directors here. Um, and then, like, I think I had one guy that was local here. He was kind of uh, going through a lot of stuff I, I didn't know but he was very abusive verbally to a lot of people. That was his shtick, like that was his thing. He thought that that's what success was and how you taught people. I think a year later he called me up and he goes, hey man, uh, I just wanna apologize. And I guess he was going through like the 12 step program or something and he had to make apologies to people. But he told me, he said, <laughs> he said I, you know, I, because I guess what had happened was my card had fallen out on my bag and I was like, and it said on there, I said, uh, it said Rip Electric, And then it said, in parentheses, it said, you know, independent director, uh, independent DP. And he kind of uh, took that as, and I, I put on their independent specifically, so I'm saying, hey, I don't do big stuff. I'm not there yet. But he took that as, oh, well, you're director or you're DP? Well, well, he basically tried to grill me on everything and act and trying to act, find out how much I knew. And I mean, honestly, when you get into that situation, someone's trying to like, get questions out of you, you kind of lock up and you kind of go, I, I don't know. because I kept feel, feeling like, what did I do wrong? Like, I'm mm -hmm. just, that, I'm mm -hmm. sorry my card fell out of my bag. But um, yeah, a year later, he calls me up and he goes, hey man, I really like to look at your work. And then he told me, he said, you really should produce. And he said, you, uh, you've kind of been around the block. You've done just about every job. And I think it was a matter of, you know, most of the time I was, I didn't know if I was trying to figure out where I belonged or what I wanted to do because I've always been told directing was a thing that you, you, you kind of put as a dream and that everything else is a job that you should get and you should make that your backup. And what sucks about that is in doing that, I kind of didn't know what else I would want to do other than direct. But strangely enough, it flipped where now I'm producing actually as a job and now I'm kind of as a backup I direct too but producing I honestly has been more um, satisfying because I have made so many friendships so many I've, I've, I've talked to so many people throughout my career careers I don't know um, and I've gotten to know so many great artists and so many wonderful viewpoints that I never would have had And it allows me to, when I run into a project, I assess it, I look at it, and I think about the voice that needs to come about. 
And so I start with, well, directors. What directors can we talk to? And what DP can we talk to? How's the visual going to look? Like, what, what does the DP need to know? Is this a DP who's kind of a shoot-from-the-hip DP? Is this a DP who needs to be a real, um, you know, is, is he real, like, uh, stern? Like, I need to know every little thing about every person on our crew. Uh, you know, you've got to assess that. And as a producer... And throughout the years, I've been keeping a database of everybody I've worked with and like all the little things that I kind of learned from them or, you know, what they're really good at or what I assessed that they're this kind of person and who they would fit with. And that database, uh, it's spread out on, on a whole bunch of different files all over my computer. But it's one of those things that I use a lot of times to kind of get these puzzle pieces to put together so that, you know it can sustain itself and it can, it can run on its own. I think one of the best things that I've learned to do and with this recent project, with this recent project this last summer we did, it's called Background Action. Um, someone came to me and uh, basically a friend of mine who I started his career, he came to me and said, hey man, I've got this thing, this young director who's got a budget because he's got this guy who's his like angel investor and he wants to do this project, but they cannot do a feature. This thing could not fit as a feature. It needs to be a proof of concept, and it needs to be something that you can sell, that you can move, and you can take to to different uh, distributions. And I was like, well, damn it. That's right up my alley. That's exactly what I want to do. My company that I put together, Sketching Light Productions, we kind of want to be from, you know, from nuts to bolts, from, from beginning to end, you know, kind of keep everything. I want to find really skilled people and I want to be able to develop the story I want to find the team that I can surround them with to pad them to make them stronger and, and give them what they need and we did that with this young director he's 24 years old and I spent my time because I didn't want to take on a 24 year old I'm looking at no offense to anybody that's young but I didn't want to take on a 24 year old director because there's a lot that comes with that that you know, the kid had no experience, had not had anything before that had really been out there on the market. He's not done anything this at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a producing team to surround him to kind of pad him in different ways for different things. I found a director, I found a DP that would work with him that, you know, could really kind of nurture him and do their best, but also was hungry enough to kind of do this for the budget that we're looking at. And I managed to get through those connections. It just kind of worked out and spiderwebbed itself out. And I went and personally talked to each person involved in, in each team, got really close, got connected with people, and basically built this entire team. The entire thing came off looking, I mean, it's gorgeous. Right now we're, we're finishing up our post audio right now. And, uh, I mean, it's, there's, there's potential right now. We are talking to a couple of agencies, and we're looking at the possibility of uh, Hulu or Netflix or, I mean, even Tubi right now. We're, Tubi's trying to bring up some stuff. But it's, um, it's cohesive. It's got, a, it's got a good feel to it. It's got a lot of work that needs to be done. But mind you, this 24-year-old director, there's some things in there that you find you know, that are going to happen because experience, life experiences do count for something. But you could tell that the actors that they brought in brought their life experiences to this, mm-hmm. and they really added to it. So my whole thing is I love, I mean, I do love directing. In fact, I've got, 
I've got a thing that I'm going to be doing mostly on narrative. You guys do a lot of commercial. I do a lot of, I love doing commercials too. I really do because honestly, they can be more lucrative at times. And it's, you can do kind of a small cinema aspect, mm-hmm. but it's like, a, wow, we're getting a lot of buzzing in, in here. Yeah, I was trying to figure out. What yeah, I was trying to figure out where that is too. Um, I put my phone over there for, for that reason. The mic stand maybe a couple inches. I feel like mine. Is it? Is it? Is that it? What? Oh, so. There you go. I think we're good. Seems better. There we go. But uh, yeah, ultimately, I I love producing simply because you're, you're kind of creating this group of people. You're putting them together, and then you're making sure that things work out. And that's in narrative. Now, in commercial stuff, um, I've come to like it. But I still kind of want to do more directing when it comes to the commercial stuff. And I still want to direct some, you know, some narrative stuff. But I'm, I'm pretty content where I am right now with the producing. It feels good. And, I mean, the directing stuff, like I said, I was, I've got my own thing that I'm putting together. It's a, uh, it's a prelude to a werewolf western that <laughs> was written for me a long time ago. And I still want to do that. And I've got an anthology that we've put together and we are about to launch our uh, our campaign to get funding for this. We're looking at the low end, 1.5. Um, I, I'm aiming for 2.5, um, but uh, ultimately I, I know we could probably, I feel like we could probably get 1.5 a little easier and I can make 1.5 work, especially if I'm shooting it within Texas. I can definitely stretch that dollar. Um, it's knowing where where you can get things done and also since i know a lot about texas and i know a lot of people in texas i know some amazing people that deserve to be seen and and deserve to be put on this pedestal because they're just as good as anybody anywhere and as good as anybody in la and you know i can get the rest of the production for cheaper so i've got a lot of uh i got a lot of plate spinning what do you think? What do you think of the new studios? That it's I don't know if it's in. There's one that's construction. Up, or yeah, the, in, they just broke ground in the one in Mans. It's like near Mansfield, uh, up in DFW, and then there's one here that has not broke ground yet. They just signed papers on it. The ink's just drying on it. It's by like um, Georgetown or something. Yeah, well, there's one in Georgetown. There's also one uh, that's gonna happen in. Um, Isn't there one out west somewhere? I thought. Yeah, it's, it's there's like a couple. Paso? There's a couple of, of of them. There's a couple of them that are coming so up. The, I saw a big one in El Paso coming up. Right, it's like five different warehouses looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, studios. that's pretty huge. The oh, one that's gonna that. be in like Hollywood yeah. type. Yeah, definitely a LA no. t- looking studio. Yeah. El Paso. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. not which sure is, if it's that one is, or not, but well, the one that I I know that's going to be really big is going to be the one that's in DFW that's over by Mansfield. Um, hmm. Mansfield's actually where I went to high school, so it's like I've, it's weird that I, I moved away and all of a sudden they're building all this stuff there. But uh, that's the one they broke ground on, and that's the plans are ultimately you know the long term plans are to make this thing almost like its own little city, mm-hmm. and um, it's going to be like several sizes bigger than Las Colinas is what I'm understanding. Now, mind you, this is this is all between you know different people, different contractors that I've found out that I've, you know I've talked to, and I'm trying to see who they're bringing in to bring bring up the LED wall. I want to see what the plans are for that. I would love to be with them on the ground floor of seeing how that's going to be built and, and maybe helping to push it along. Um, there are a lot more people that are pushing LED wall stuff around here, and there's a lot more 
shooters that are shout out to Straight Vista. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, shout Stray out Vista. to they're yeah. crushing it. I yeah. mean, there are already two studios in, in, in the Austin, city. Yeah. yeah, but um, yeah how but how do you see the more. how do you see the future like the future? Let's say in the next ten years, maybe. Well, see, that's a loaded question because I've been here long enough, and I've been sitting there, sitting around trying to get the. I've been working with a lot of the people that are working with the incentive stuff. And we always have in Texas, we always have this problem with the incentive stuff, but they just did dropped. What is it like a million or something? I don't know. Um, no, a hundred thousand. I don't remember. No, it's, it's not even that much. It's really small. They dropped a certain amount, but it's because the whole Ty Sheridan thing coming through and wanting to build some of his business here. Um, but my problem is, is I, I don't like to be too optimistic. I hate to say it. Um, Texas has got a really bad habit of once we all, like all the workers here, once they get really optimistic about things and like, oh, this is going to happen. This is this is coming. Next thing you know, something comes through. Maybe change a governor and the governor's like, uh, we don't want that. Or someone gets really up in arms about, I think last time it was someone was up in arms about uh, well, the film industry is going to be bringing in uh, a, a value value system that's like against family. It's it's you know tears down the family, and I'm like, well, you know what? If if that's your worry, then then invest in it. Find a way to make this work and get involved and make it the, the kind of movies you want to be brought here. You know, it's it's just like you talked about saying no. The state can say no to certain things and say yes to other things, and really just. What they should do is is open the doors to the ones they want to show here that that basically equal the kind of stuff that they would like to see. But the state doesn't want to do that. They just want to say no to something and walk away from it, wash their hands of it. And I think some of those people are out of office and some new ones have come in. So fingers crossed. I'm hoping things are, are going to work out. Um, it's all politics. Every bit of it's politics. And whenever you're dealing with money, there's so many people that want their hands on that money. There was there was even uh, a protest, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Because the the studios were the construction was gonna be blocking some water. Yep. Water uh, land over there, uh, and there were aqua, a lot of people like against the, the groundwater stuff. And and you're dealing with a, a lot of what it is, yeah. is. It's not just a protest dealing with. Well, if you're talking about the one that's in West Texas, they're, they, yeah, they have, they have uh, a really big water problem right now because of the rights of the water, which honestly I should suggest um, uh, director Mario, uh, he's been working on this documentary about the water rights and the families behind these water rights and, and the, the companies, the families and, and companies that have been working to fight these water rights that are out there. And the build in El Paso is uh, affecting some of that. And so those two kind of clash against each other. Whereas, you know, I mean, like I said, it's all politics. It's all, you know, if you end up, it's, it's all, you know, if you put, if you're going to put something somewhere, there are, you're going to affect the ecosystem itself. You're going to affect everything that goes on. You're going to affect like West Texas is desert land. I mean, it's not. It's not desert what you guys may be thinking about the Sahara or anything, but it is is dry. And that area is dependent upon a certain amount of their population being able to bathe, cook, uh, you know, just drink normal water, drinking water. And, I mean, we have those kinds of problems all over. Um, 
you know, I mean, what is it? They said in Utah, what is it? Salt Lake has been evaporate, evaporating. They said there's all these, it's climate change and, and things that are happening that, it's yeah. like Lake Travis. <laughs> yeah, like Lake Travis. So like so Lake try. Travis has turned into Pond Travis. Yeah. Yeah. But it's... So sad. It's nuts. But that, that's the thing is part of producing is literally getting involved in politics. And I hate to say it, but I am one of those people that I jump right in. Like, I'm, I'm the worst. Like, you guys have been in rides with me. We've been in cars before where we'll start talking politics and then I'll just keep yapping. <laughs> and, and, and they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, read the room. Okay, nobody wants to talk politics. Damn it. Okay, well, then I'll stop. Well, yeah, then I'll if stop. you want to fall asleep, listen yeah, to right? Brandon. Yeah, listen to Brandon about. talk about politics. <laughs> um, but it, it is, though. It's The crazy thing is, is like producing is getting involved in the pol- political aspects of what's coming to Texas. And then, but I mean, I'm looking at things like Georgia. Um, spent some time in Georgia and I've been talking to a lot of people. Actually, we just shot that thing in Georgia. You, Georgia has blown up as far as their production world. Like, but when you go there, what's crazy is, and this is, this is what people in LA have said about working in Georgia. And my buddies in LA have said this, Georgia has a different way of doing business. They have a very Southern way of doing business where it's almost like they kind of rely on the handshake in some aspects. Like businesses don't have itemized, like I'm used to a business even here, especially like very, very strong business ethic or not ethics. How do I put it? The very strong business practices here, even by some of the smaller production companies and rental houses and stuff. But there, they're just kind of like, I'm like, look, I need that itemized list. I need the itemized receipt. I need to know it's paid. I have to see that on there and I have to have it itemized so that I can, I can itemize each thing out based on the department it's in, based on, you know, for my taxes, for all this stuff, for what we've used. And they literally will, they don't get it. They just like, oh yeah, okay, that's paid. That's like, great. Like, no, I need a receipt. They're like, it should show up on your credit card. No, like, no, these are big companies that are there and they say that to me. And I'm like, you kidding me? Then there's... And I need all that. You need all that paperwork, especially if you're going to be registering that with the state or whatever. I think Texas should adopt some of the things that Georgia's doing, but in a Texas way. Um, there's a couple of other states right now. Uh, Kentucky. Strangely enough, Kentucky is an incredibly open, like, they're just like, yeah, come on in. It's Kentucky. We're going to, you know, you want to shoot here. And they are just, they are wanting to... They don't have a lot to offer, but they're trying to offer more. Um, I have a whole sheet. I keep up on on this whole thing of what uh, incentives each state has. And it's nuts how much it changes like year to year and the things that they're doing every time they, every two years they're doing their legislation or whatever. It's nuts. And every state's different too in how they do it. So, yeah. But I feel Atlanta has always been big in some sort, right? Because I've heard series complete seasons being shot oh, on, yeah. on atlanta faking new york mm-hmm. like they close streets and make make it manhattan looking you, or whatever i'll tell you the crazy thing is if you look at the unions and the people that are joining the unions like the genie that are joining the unions, stuff like that they're inexperienced guys they're guys that have don't have the, even the experience that some of our genie have here and you're looking at them and you're going well damn it like you, there's such, there's so much work that they're just having to pull people off the streets now. There are guys that I've seen <laughs> do some ridiculous stuff that are just like, are you kidding me? They, they make these huge mistakes, um, safety mistakes that happen often. And, and uh, I'm hearing these from the seasoned professionals that what's funny is a couple of them that are seasoned professionals there that started in Texas and found out like 
that working in the professional realm in Texas actually trained them to be able to work anywhere in the U.S. We have a very strong, uh, we have a very strong grip electric uh, group of people. Like uh, shout out to uh, my friends in 484 here. Like they are, um, they they take it super seriously. They and I guess that kind of comes from like I was saying the old G and E guy who was like, "Get off my truck if you're not a lifer," you know. But the reality of that is, is I think that's turned into this idea of professionalism. So Texas has, I see, if I had to be a bit of optimistic for a moment, I see in 10 years, I see us starting to really push and get some of that pie like, like Georgia is. I do see that if things are to go the way I see that, or I think they're going to go. Yeah. Um, and I, I welcome it because honestly, yeah. we have more land here that you could utilize and you could shoot for so many different areas. You could make it look like so much, so much different stuff, and and then go and shoot cheaper here, and then go and shoot somewhere else if you need the exteriors and stuff like that. I mean, it's amazing here. We've got so much. Yeah, I don't know if it was my perception, but well, I moved in 2018 mm -hmm. from New York, and you know, it's it's New York. Um, you see all kind of productions over there, small and big um but it's uh, i mean i noticed in this short of time from 2018 to 2023 a huge 2024 2024, yeah. 2024. <laughs> wow shout out here we are <laughs> <laughs> um and it's great i mean it's i've i've been in the trying to get involved in the industry trying to do things like this podcast to meet people network with people that it's in the industry, you know, agencies, producers, DPs. Um, and uh, at, at the beginning, you start seeing like, a, not, a, not like a punter, but you see the same people sharing sets all the time. Yeah, like, definitely. like, you know, um, and, and it's great because you see the, 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 the people that has seasons, as you mentioned, in the industry, very yeah. knowledgeable respected in the in the industry and and it's cool because they all know each other right it's, oh, yeah. it's like it's like you I, you can mention someone here and i think you mentioned like three people already and, and i've heard of them yeah yeah you yeah. know what i mean and you it's, guys actually have uh have had a few guys that i know that uh in fact uh andrew barrera um andrew barrera yeah. i love that guy i love that guy he's forgiven me for something that a long time ago i did that I, I i was not i was basically saddled with a Oh, a so, you were, so a, you were the a-hole he was talking about. I, yeah, most likely. <laughs> most likely. Was, was it was a music video? Was it a music video that I was directing? So it was a music video I was directing. This was when I was like my first time trying to produce something that had a, a big budget to it. And I got with this band and I was like, let's do this music video. And we, we wrote out the budget and everything and we had it ready. And Andrew came in with a great price. Like Andrew was amazing. And in fact, he was brand new with a steady cam. had never really even done a lot of work with it. And he has um, all the toys. Too. God, he and does he have all the toys. He literally has everything. Yeah, everything. He, he comes in and he knocked it out. He was amazing. Um, but what ended up happening is I, the, the manager for the band, um, literally kind of gave me the finger and said, you know what, I'm not paying this, whatever. Even though the, everything looked great, we had like this, we had majority of the, the production, we'd done the performance part of the music video. And the next thing we needed to do in this other part of the budget, he's like, eh, I, don't, I don't think. But then again, I think he was planning on quitting because apparently the band was going to, 
the band had some situations where I guess the, I don't know if he was the guitarist or bassist, would get drunk and do things like reveal himself on stage to everyone <laughs> and, and at, at family-friendly shows. Oh, and, nice. And so I think the band was looking at kicking him out or breaking up. Oh, and boy. so the manager was like, I don't want to deal with these guys. Trying to get of off the sinking ship. Yeah, oh, yeah, he was trying to get off the sinking ship. And then he basically poured it all on me and then turned it around and said, okay, well, now I had, I was, I had to hold the bag for it. So I was like, I had to pay for all of it. And I was like, uh, and I was young and I had no, I don't have, the, I didn't have the contract knowledge that I have now. Um, yeah. I was going to say uh, looking back, would it have been, would it have been like a more bulletproof contract or oh God, yeah. Oh a, God. Yeah. Any contract was <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, I mean, I think it was Oops. like a, a little bit of an email contract. Like oh, that yeah. was email. Here's what I'll handle. Here's this and that. And, and yeah, it wasn't really a contract, but now it would be a bulletproof kind of thing that almost would be like, you know, and if you back out or if you walk away from this and haven't paid for this, you now owe me 10 times the amount or whatever. I would have mm-hmm. found some way to, to put in special writing that, you know, you have to uh, give me your firstborn kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. um, that's yeah. one of the questions that I have because now I'm, um, I'm getting into that role of producing and why not putting people together, dealing with clients and, you know, oh, yeah. other businesses. Um, how in, in, um, I guess my question will be, do you need a contract for, for everything? Everything. I, I, I say a contract's good for everything simply because of the fact that, okay, for instance, good, good, uh, a good example. Um, let's say that that whole thing with with andrew and everything andrew andrew was kind enough to be like well look man no big deal we'll just i'll just we'll just chalk it up to whatever and just let me keep the footage and all that and i get to use it however i'm like please um because not everybody is always and plus at the same time he wasn't even charging me hardly anything he was like literally i'll drive out on my own he was just doing because he was trying to get some more experience doing mm-hmm. steadicam work which he pff, blows people away now uh with all of his work um but ultimately contracts are contracts keep friendships because you know you may have like your best friend that you're involved with and you try and build a company with them and in order to there's always something that's going to happen and it may be something that you cannot foresee that's going to happen if that happens and someone has to get get stuck with the bill then the person that gets stuck with the bill is going to be really angry. The other person's going to be like dodging the other person because they're stuck with the bill. But if you have a contract that says, look, we will figure this out. We will find a way. Split we can the cost. Or, split the cost. Know, anything. Yeah. You, need to, you need to have that because it keeps friendships. Because then yeah, you go, look, fine. a contract is, is, is compartmentalizing your lives. You're saying, on this end, when we walk, out the, when we walk you know, into the, the studio, we are partners. We're business partners. We walk out of the studio, we're friends, we're best buds. We may have known each other since birth, but Mm -hmm. like that's why you don't want to kill that because I will tell you this, a lot of good friendships have fallen apart for a lot of people because they don't make contracts. And sometimes even just a, I've even told people, I'm like, just make a video of you two talking about the worst case scenarios, like a planned breakup, like what happens if we're not going to deal memos. Deal memos I think are really important because a deal memo. Could you explain a little bit what a deal memo is? So a deal memo is basically saying this. It's saying you make, let's say I hire you as a photographer. I need you as a photographer. I'm going to get you for X amount, right? Now let's say something happens out of my, uh, let's say a good example. You guys all remember this. We had a 
we had a production where it was a very famous golfer comes in. Let's say that golfer, you're only hired to be that the photographer for that golfer. The golfer's late, right? Yeah. And you're hired for so many hours, right? But the golfer's late, and let's say the golfer's late, or the golfer doesn't show, or the golfer like wants to leave early or whatever. That we need to be clear in the deal memo by saying you get paid for these many hours, right? Great thing about it is if the golfer screws everybody over, then technically you're like, no, I can't screw you over and go, well, he was only here an hour and you only worked an hour. Even though you showed up for eight hours, Mm. eight to 10 hours. Like, let's say that golfer only showed up, you showed up late, left early, all that stuff. And then as other producers will do this, they will go, well, look, you only worked this long. You, You got to go home really early or whatever. But the thing about that is you need to have it stated, I am, this is my rate. This is what it breaks down to if I get past 10 hours. This is what it breaks down to. Like you could say 10 hours, you could say eight hours, but you two have to agree with that. I know that there are union rules that you should stick to, but the union only put those rules there so that if, if all else fails, they, do, they have something to go back on for the law and the legality of things. If you decide you want to work less, if you decide you want to cut your rate and, and say, I will do a full 10 hours, a full 12 hours for this rate, that's you. That's on you legally. That's on you. But if it comes down to it and there's an argument about what happens or you get or let's say that guy didn't show up till halfway through and then he's like, look, I'm here. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be here till later tonight. And that drags you into 15 hours, 16 hours, 17 hours. That's not. So here's the thing. People in the indie world will be like, whatever, we're here to make a movie. But. That's how, that kind of mindset is how you get hurt. That's how you drive back. Let's say you had to drive back. Let's say you're doing a job where it's, you've got the camera equipment or you got hired to be both the cam op, but you're also wrangled in to be the driver of the camera vehicle. Like, so you're driving back and if you guys haven't discussed, oh, well, that means I get paid from when I leave with that camera vehicle all the way to when I return it. If you haven't discussed those things and something happens along the way, And even if it's not you, even if it's a drunk driver that's on the road, hits you, you have to figure out exactly who's going to pay when you can't walk anymore. Who's going to pay for the rest of your, who's going to pay for the stuff when you can't have that job? I had a job and then I mind you, I've, I think I've made, I should make a book of Brandon's made all the mistakes for you. So now you can go (laughs) ahead and now you can go and learn from them. I was on a gig uh, with a good friend with a good friend, there was no contract. He asked me to come on as a gaffer. I've, I've, been, I've been gaffing for God knows how long. Like lighting was my first real love. And what's crazy about this is he had decided that we, um, that we needed a Fisher 10, which is the heavy, heaviest of the Fisher dollies. And then we needed a Fisher 25, was it? Like arm? Great. We had enough manpower. We had a good GNE size, good size GNE that we could that we could bring on for the days that we knew we were using that. Great. We had our man days. Suddenly, and this is nobody knew this, and I kind of just nodded and said, "Yeah, dude, you're my friend. I've known you since since college. We can definitely work together. We'll make this work. I'll come because you, he needed somebody that can light for film because he was shooting 60 mil. So you guys didn't make a contract. Mm-mm. And that's my fault. That is my fault. Um, we made a deal memo as far as me and the production company. And he was one of the producers, though. But what happened was suddenly 
in that contract, there wasn't something saying, hey, should there be some situation where we lose our guys or our mandates? Because you can't foresee happening because what ended up happening is one of their backers died. And mind you, when someone dies, that ties up all their money. Like their money doesn't go anywhere because they're dead. Now someone else has to go and get all the paperwork and get that taken care of because they didn't have this in escrow. They basically taking it in chunks and in chunks in there. And that person died in the middle of it. That last chunk was not there. So they had to cut our mandates, cut some of our guys, which fucking pissed them off. Now, mind you, these are guys that were, you know, these were guys that in their deal memo said, you know, we only are going to hold true to this many days, but there is a possibility for more days. So it was open. It was kind of an open thing because we had these extra days that we needed to lift this stupid thing. I'm an electric. As a gaffer, I shouldn't be lifting something heavy. My friend comes to me, and this is where I should have even, I should have had them adjust my deal memo or my contract. But he's an old friend from college, and he comes to me and goes, look, man, um, because we have to cut some of your guys. My question first was, well, are we cutting out that, are we getting rid of the, the days, all the days we have the Fisher Dolly? And he's like, no, no, I need that. And mind you, this guy could have done a, a Dana Dolly for like half the things he used him for, half the things. I didn't argue with him. I was like, look, dude, whatever. He wanted to argue with me. No. And I'm like, look, I'm a DP too. You're going to really going to tell me you can't that it, this shot going from over one side of the counter to the other needed this fucking, this Fisher 10 and this 25. No. So on the day that we're supposed to be in this Dallas uh, residence, this old Dallas residence, um, he, he had told me, he's like, look, look, I'll help. I'll jump in. I'm going to jump in and do this. I'm, part of, I'm a producer on this, so I'm going to go in and I'm going to help. I'm gonna, I've got to get this thing done. We, it's not our fault that we lost that part of the budget. And I'm like, you're right, and it sounds really crappy, and I'm sorry. And so for me, I felt bad, so I, I just agreed. Now, that being said, I'm an electric. I get in there with the grips, and I'm like, I can't lift. I mean, I, I just can't. I'm like, I'm not a guy that lifts. I'm paid for my brain more than I am for lifting heavy things. I mean, look at me. So I get in there and he gets on one side and he goes, look, bro, I got it. I got it. I'm like, here, we're going to help lift. And then he goes, he tells everybody stop. And my key grip is the one that put me to his left. Cause he said, look, I've got all these muscles. I lift weights. He literally was just like, he, he lifts ridiculous amount of weights. And he said, get on my left. That way, if anything happens, I can kind of take it. Great. He was on the front. The DP was on the front and he goes, I can't do this. I can't be here. It's gonna, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt my back really bad if I'm right here. He goes, I'm taller than you. I need to be right where Brandon is. And I was like, and we started arguing. I'm like, okay, dude, whatever. I'll jump over. I just jumped over and did it. Now, mind you, these steps are these cobblestone steps, and they go up. And, you know, they're old. This is an old Dallas house. One of them shifts, and my foot slips as I'm going up, and I twist. Now, mind you, this is a Fisher 10. This thing's the heaviest one they make. These are things that used to be... They used to carry bombs in World War II yeah, and put them in the planes. Tanks. They're massive. And I slipped and I twist and I hear this like it's almost like a it's almost like ripping a zipper apart. And it was my back. Yikes. And apparently it was two vertebrae in my back, some the discs next to the vertebrae and everything cracking all at once. I had to have emergency back surgery. Holy shit. Holy yeah, moly. And that's all because I basically was like, and here's the thing, I thought I was gonna be suffering with paying for it all on my own. I had to pay for a lot of stuff that had to deal with that. But I thought I was going to pay for all that on my own. The producers stepped in and spoke for me, the other producers. The 
DP slash producer friend of mine tried to throw me under the, under the bus and told the insurance company that I used to play football. And then I decided I would call up my old football coach. And his whole story was, Brandon, hell, that boy rode the, rode the bench most of the time. Like, I don't know what he's going to, like, literally laughing because he's, like, played football. Yeah, I guess you could say he played. He was in scrimmages, but no, it's like the dude rode the bench. Yeah. So I'm like, I was going to be his court defense. Uh, well, that's I what guess. they were going to try and do. But football, but he they, was fine. Yeah, they, well, something, they something like that happened yeah. on the on the set of Harry Potter, right? When I mean, it happens. The, yeah, the, the yeah. stunt of the guy who did Harry Potter like broke his back in half. Oh, really? There's yeah. a lot of stories yeah. like that. Triple uh, X. There was a guy that died in Triple X movie. Well, was it Vin Vin Diesel? Triple X movie way back in the '90s. There was a during one of the Transformers. There but was wait, in Chicago. what? What will be your feedback on on the contract matter? Like it doesn't matter. Um, like for example, you were as a gaffer, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly you you step out of that role and start doing other things. I did. I did something that's not really number one. As an electric, every grip is going to tell you electrics aren't qualified to lift crap. You know, I mean, every everyone will be like, juicers don't know anything about lifting things and how to do that properly. But, I mean, the reality is what I should have done is I should have said, let's go back to our deal memo. Let's get all the producers. Let's put it in writing. Let's make sure that we know that now I'm kind of doing this. Number two, uh, that doubled my responsibilities. Instead of the fact that he was my friend and just sucking it up and going, you know what, I'll do this because this will be a big boon to your career. And this will help you out. And you're my friend. And I really care about you. Um, I basically should have said, look, so that we stay friends and we're not at war with each other. If something were to happen, um, let's, let's make sure that we know I'm all covered and everything's good and I'm not worried. And that way we don't have to go to war with each other if anything yeah. goes long. And that was the problem is we, it was really the insurance company calling me saying it's my word against his word. And because he knew me the longest and Honestly, of course, there's some of the things that he did that were pretty crappy, like bringing up that I played football and all that stuff when he knew for a fact <laughs> I was not great at football. Like, there used to be jokes about the fact that the Butterfingers was like yeah. a big... So, <laughs> the U.S. producer had to take care of, you know, probably the director not making sure the director or the DP or the gaffer don't get people involved where... Where there not have to be right. Yeah, is the producer yeah. producer has duty. To, oh yeah, to make sure that doesn't happen. Oh yeah, because then you turn around and the way I look at it is, I tell every producer, I'm like, you're gonna have to pay for it. You have to pay for it. And it's like, and when and I can guarantee your contract is not airtight enough that it won't affect you in some way. That it won't cause you to have to pay for something out of it in some way. Um, you know, when you're producing your your, your number one thing is you're looking at the production itself as, an, as a product. It has to be finished. It has to be done. It needs to be put together completely and then be, to be able to ship, be shipped out. And part of that product is the money that they give you to make this product. The money that your client gives you to make this product, you have to make sure that, that happens. If you have to make sure, because if something were to happen, you know, God forbid, let's, so let's say we worked on, on, on a thing that we traveled, right? We recently, you know, not too long ago, last year, we, we worked on something that traveled. If for some reason, let's say we got into a car accident 
and you know Alex was up in the front seat or something right and that someone happened to hit right at the passenger side and Alex can't use his right arm anymore you're right-handed right yeah that would destroy like your your photography career not saying that it would all be on you but that's the reason insurance is important that's the reason you have these things and a lot of people I get it they are you know it sucks because it, it sucks because what really sucks about insurance is it really sucks when you're not using it. When you're like, I paid all this money and yeah. the insurance did yeah. nothing because we didn't need it. But it's the worst thing when you do need it and something yeah. happens and it's, yeah. it's, it kills you. But the idea of it is like, this is none of nothing we're doing here is worth is, is worth putting our lives on the line. Nothing. We're not saving lives. We're not going into burning buildings. We're not, we're not keeping yeah. people alive. We're not doing brain surgery. We are, making visual pleasing things aesthetically aesthetically pleasing things for people to either be entertained or for people to sell something we are not integral to like i mean during just look at during the covid uh experience we like we're not we're not essential, we're workers. Not essential yeah. workers yeah, yeah. and uh, everything we do is all luxury and we should remember that because yeah, there's nothing worth. And I used to do things. I used to do when I was really young, like in my early 20s, I used to do dumb things and put myself in situations as a cam op. Like, you know, as a cam op, they have situations where they're like, I want to get this shot up here. And there was things that like I, they wanted to get shots up like cliff sides and stuff like that. I'm like, well, I can climb that. I can do that. I can. D yeah, sometimes you want to do that because deep down inside you as a photographer, as a as a, a cinematographer, you want to get that shot because oh, yeah. it feels good. But you put yourself in a situation where if something were to happen, like God forbid, like it's not it's not really the production you should be worrying about. It's the fact that can you work on other things after that? Can you still do things? Mm -hmm. And I want to change. Yeah, you always get that. nervous when we get overhead shots, and let's say yeah. Um, oh, yeah. all the safety cables and everything. You know, yeah, it's, like, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, you know it's a scary. Mo There's mostly if if you have two talents mm -hmm. on you yeah, know something planning below. underneath is, the camera. Yeah. Planning is everything, and when you get a when you get really professional people to rig something, you want to know that they can draw it out, that they can explain it. And, and at the same time, when they, you also know, though, the professionals that do that, they will get the talent out of the way. They'll get everybody out of the way. They will make sure everybody's safe so they can build it. And then they will go slowly and explain. And they will be like, nobody touch this. Nobody mess yeah. with this. Nobody do this because yeah. I'm the only one that should be adjusting anything on this. And every time we have to readjust, I'm going to take out the talent. And yeah. it may seem like, the, the tough part about that is it may seem like, this is a lot of wasting time a lot of times because I mean, I get it. When I was doing indie stuff, we were running gun and we had amazing stuff and you could do that. You yeah. could do that. But look at the, uh, what's it? No, I, I'm having that experience. Oh. I remember the, the last shoot that we had for, uh, for the golf cart. There was a portion on this on, we were a stray vista yeah. and there was an overhead shot that yeah. with two kids mm -hmm. and their parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a whole family in the frame. And we had this massive Aria Mira on top of them. But I, rem I remember seeing that. You know yeah. what your first thing that you did right, though, was? You hired the G&E crew that is smart enough and experienced enough yeah. that they made those rigs tight and they made those rigs strong. Yeah. And that right there is your, your first bit of insurance, is really trying to vet 
the people that you work with and making sure they can do these crazy things that you want to do. Yeah. That's why, you know, these shots, the crazy shots that they want to do that sometimes like the first thing in my head as a producer is I start going, how much is that going to cost me? Because that if, as soon as someone says, I want to do an overhead or I want to do something that the camera's moving, you start thinking, okay, well, that just upped our budget in us getting our key grip and gaffer because we need to get people that are experienced enough to have done these kinds of things. Yeah. No, they, they specialize or they're smart enough to know. They've been there and they know how to put those rigs together to make yeah. them safe. They know the protocol and they know how to get all yeah, that. Yeah, man, out. that is so important. Safety is everybody's job. Yeah. Safety is everybody's job. I always hear people going, well, I'm, I'm some, I look after safety. Like I hear producers say that. I hear ADs say that. I hear uh, key grips say that. But the reality is safety is everybody's job yeah and i think that's one of the the one important thing when you're putting you know a team together people together crew crew together is knowing who you're working with Mm -hmm. right like Mm -hmm. you know hiring someone that has experience in what they do and what they do and and so on is it's just bring you peace peace of mind Mm -hmm. that you know something may happen because shit happens but, yeah it does but at least you know that the people that it's behind production and everything and, and gear and whatnot they know what they're doing and they take their whatever on this uh, last thing you know sometimes you could do everything in your power to make it as safe as possible as a producer on this last thing i didn't know this until after the fact we ended up doing a shot that we didn't really get the cleanest sound in because they wanted to go straight to labs but it's all because they didn't want to go in. The sound department did not want to go into there with their boom, boom mics. And here's why. The building we were in uh, had asbestos in the tiles, right? When we went and checked this out, I was like, okay, everybody put on their masks. Everybody get their masks on. Everybody cover up. Like, we're going to walk through and we're going to walk out. And they told me, they said, like, they were like, there's asbestos. I'm like, well, we're not going to be kicking things up. I also paid a professional crew that deals with those kinds of things to come in to lay down, to spray down a, a uh, like a lacquer on the floor, and then to also lay down this plastic over all the, these tiles. That's really the tiles in the floor, not the tiles in the ceiling, apparently. Um, all that stuff was ripped out, too. I paid for all that. Um, my sound department still didn't even go in there. Now, mind you, that's their prerogative. That is their prerogative. You have to live with that. You have to understand that some people are going to be a little squeamish about certain things. And, you know, it takes a lot of exposure for asbestos, but... If, if they don't feel like they, they don't want to be in that situation, then you just have to live with it. And, and f- that money that you spent trying to make this perfect for them, unfortunately, sometimes just goes off. You do waste money. There's times you waste money, and it sucks because you think, I could have taken that money, and I could have used that help for better yeah. ADR. Better ADR in the end yeah. with, with what they didn't get because they couldn't go in there. Yeah. So. And I have a question around that. Like, for example, uh, you... You cannot always quote whatever it's going to happen in production, right? The, no. uh, along the way, you, you start realizing that you, you need this. You're probably going to need an extra. 30%, that's, you know, that's, why, that's why it's beauty that I fucked up enough. That I fucked up a lot <laughs> enough that I could, I could be like, oh, no, I have a story for that yeah. one. I have a story and, for that one. So my question is, how much of that do you have uh, the freedom to come up to the agency or client and say hey we spend a couple thousand sex on this so i usually is it i establish a write-off when when i come into a client or i come up to somebody i establish look this these are the things that you i see things that you don't see because i've been through this i've been the, the lowly guy in the totem pole i've been 
throughout all this. That's, that's the benefit of all the years of experience I've done doing everything. I've been kicked around. I've, I've hurt myself because of my own negligence. But you go to the client and you say to them, you, you have to make them understand that you know production back and forth. Now, whether that's using the lingo, whether that's you know quick to come up with answers or ideas, you have to find some way that they understand that you are the person who's done enough that you can see every possibility unfold. And that's a tough one, but it's something you should always aim for when you get on those calls, that you've been there, you've done that. Bring up other situations if you've got a shot that they wanna do. Let's say you've got this overhead shot, right? You've, let's say you've got something where you want them to take this shot from the camera from the floor and then it goes up and over their head and behind them, right? We've talked about this kind of thing. Now, you've already done, right now, you've done the overhead. So you know what was the first answer? Find the professionals that are smart enough to get it done. Number two, you start talking about, is this, uh, like you said earlier, is it a shot for being cool? Is it for being cool or does it serve the story? Mm -hmm. You ask that question. You need to put those in front of your client because clients will show up and tell you things automatically. We had a little technical difficulty. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> Brandon can uh, pick it back up. Yeah, here we go. So just like any technical difficulties that you might have, everything is you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what gremlins are in the system, and it's Murphy's Law. So as a producer, you have to live by Murphy's Law. You have to know that anything can happen at any time, and there's always someone out to maybe – put a wrench into your works there and you got to think about that you have to anticipate and experience is really the only thing that teaches how to anticipate and like I said I've fucked up enough I messed up enough that uh, I'm waiting for the next Brandon Torres to walk on set basically I'm just looking for the next sale so I spot them and I go oh that's another Brandon that's yeah. another Brandon that's Brandon <laughs> okay so I know what's gonna happen we're good that's it yeah but yeah, it's not saying I screwed things up, but for some reason shit follows me, you know, happens. No, things happen for sure. Um, and it's really hard sometimes to know what's going to happen, right? Because yeah, mostly, really. like, for example, the last experience that I've had, like, for example, virtual production is something that I'm pushing forward, you know, because I love the technology. I love what can offers, you know, um, the results that, that, that we get out of it. And, you know, Filmmaking is going, to, it's just another tool, right? So I'm trying to can embrace it and, and have the experience. I love it. Uh, but with that, it's technology. Techno technology fails. Yeah, things uh, happen, right? You know, it gets stuck, it, something happened, and, you know, and that's, it takes time on set that you are not. Oh, yeah, planning you on. You don't have quad for, for wasting time. I right? mean, that's the yeah. whole reason food prep they do things like use you know so many chemicals when they put on there they oh, yeah. do what they can they paint the they paint the tom uh, they paint the tomatoes here i just something happens i brought knocked this over um they paint tomatoes they do things like that you know none of it's edible what you're actually doing like the way they they build up the the buns you know is like none of that's, yeah, that's edible. all fake it's all fake everything's fake the whole we're in an industry of fake things that we're trying to do all the time to make it look as as if it was brand new and the best it can be, not to try and lie. We're trying to say, here's the thing, like how do you make a hamburger that's been sitting out for like six hours look like a great hamburger? And how yeah. do you 
make sure that my phone doesn't keep going off. No. <laughs> oh, I tell my family that all the time, you know, that everything, everything's fake in, in film and movies and, and, you know, they'll, they'll look at lights and, you know, yeah. there'll be like a beautiful cat, you know, ray of light coming through the w- window. And I'm like, you think that's, you think that's the sun? Yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> obviously not, you know, yeah, but yeah. they, they don't, if you're not in this world, you don't sit down and, and think about all those things yeah. that like, Oh, that that's, these are all artificial yeah. lights. Like the, it's fake food. Mm. All the wardrobe is meticulously planned. You know, it's, there's yeah. so many th- elements. And you know, it's just, that's, that's one of the things that I love about cinematography is, is not make it obvious that it's fake. Mm. Right. You mm. have to make it look beautiful yeah. and whatnot. And it's a challenge for sure. Um, that's the thing about directing reality TV. Cause re- people think reality TV is real and you don't like there are two, the two important things in reality TV you have are your director who, who kind of moves, well, your director, producer, and your editor. You have people moving things around and kind of, you know, shifting the tides on things so that we can, we see the story that's unfolding as it's happening. And then you end up writing in a little extra or a little something so that people expect something to happen. You either you know, you drop them off a cliff at that point in time, or you, you follow through with what they expect is going to happen. They know it's going to happen. Sometimes you, you do that so you can feed it to them a little bit going, I ah, see, I knew, I knew this was going to happen. Yeah, but yeah. reality TV is one of the most fake, fake things. I think the only <laughs> thing is reality is, is the cinema verte aspect that that's no lighting. Yeah. It's no, I mean, they do minimal lighting. It's they flat. Do, yeah. yeah like, just but they make everywhere. it yeah, they make it yeah. flat simply because of the fact that they're like, well, we want it to feel like what your eyes look like. Like you're not looking for yeah. lighting. You're just looking at whatever's there and the story is king. So everything else is just shoot it, yeah. keep it wherever it is, find whatever's there. And some of those reality TV things like will you'll see good cinematographers come in there and they will utilize what they have around them and shoot in a way where they're like okay we're gonna shoot it um i mean i think you know you guys have talked to have you guys talked to uh what's the what's his name why why can't i say his name right now off the top of my head works reality tv a friend of ours austin Austin. have you guys talked to him like uh, we, have, we haven't done a podcast shooting with him, with yet, him is a, would be like shooting. He could tell you like when you shoot, you're looking for the shots. You're always walking around looking for the hunting. Things, yeah. Hunting yeah, yeah. for everything. And that's hunter. what you do when you are. I mean, honestly, you should be doing that every job, like whatever job you are. If you're a key grip, you're hunting for how do I, I mean, make this better? How do I make this better? And how do I get ahead of the game? You know? I'm very familiar with that because I'm, I'm always hunting for a good frame i i know a shot list is the structure for for your day and for the final outcome that you that, that you, you know the client is expecting from you but once i'm on set i'm always hunting for oh this shot might be actually better than the one that we thought and yeah, we put in the in the shot list so i'm always i'm i'm uh, very flexible on that end. I, I, I believe I, I'm not attached to the short list or that's one of those, storyboard. Yeah. That's, <laughs> it's going to be a little that's flexible. Is, you know? That's what I say is I tell people make the, make the storyboards, make your shot list, plan it to death because if all else fails and you can't figure out, you can't come up with something new along the way, yeah. then go back to the original basic yeah, of yeah. what you started. And then you're, yeah. so I tell people a lot of times, um, I work with directors a lot of times who are like, oh, I, I like to shoot from the hip. I don't like to have a storyboard. I don't like to have this. And I said, Plans are not meant 
to always be followed. They're just a guideline. So you know that path that if you veered off the, the beaten path and you don't know which way you're going because you don't have the right compass, you don't have any idea of did we create you know, the same field that we need, you have at least a little bit of a roadmap to go back to yeah. to know where your center yeah. is. Yeah, that's, just gonna, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it makes total sense. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode with Brandon Torres and Alex Burton. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok as well. And if you can give us a five-star rating anywhere you can, we would greatly appreciate it. Thanks so much, and this concludes episode number six.